0: Hey, what's happening, everyone? Sam Brief here with you and a fresh mental game podcast. And I'm really excited about this guest. I say that a lot, but I'm really, really excited about this one because this is a guest who's been a long time coming. It's someone who actually told me he always wanted to come on this podcast. And it's Jim Bennett. He's a pitching coach, he's a manager, and he's a former pitcher, which gives him a lot of perspective on the mental game of a position that I think puts you in the spotlight more than any other position in any other sport. And if you think I'm wrong, I'd love to chat about it. But pitchers are literally on an island. It's drawn out. The mound is a different material than the rest of the field. And everyone's watching. Your name is on the box score. Hey, what's happening, everyone? Sam Brief here with you at a Fresh Mental Game podcast. Hey, what's happening, everyone? Sam Brief here with you, Fresh Mental Game Podcast. And I'm really excited about this guest. And I know I say that a lot, but I'm really, really excited about this one because it's someone who told me a little while ago that he's always wanted to come on the podcast. And that's Jim Bennett. He's a pitching coach, he's been a manager, he's been a pitcher. Right now, he's the pitching coach for Team Australia for the Brisbane Bandits of the Australian Baseball League, a team near and dear to my heart as former broadcaster and now of the Atlantic League's Spire City Ghost Towns. Jim's the former Manager of the Year in the American Association of Professional Baseball, and he even pitched professionally after a really successful college career. So Jim has gone from soft-tossing lefty to pitching coach and doing it at the highest level, the World Baseball Classic, where he and Team Australia were extremely successful just this past year, and he'll touch on that and a lot more here on the mental game. Jim's really cerebral and I've been the broadcaster of the team that he coaches. So I know all about what makes him go, what makes him tick, what he looks for in players. And for him to open his book and tell me about mound visits, what he looks for, what he wants his pitchers thinking, how he coaches them, it's awesome. This is great if you're a baseball nerd and it's great if you just want to hear a nice guy talk about how to operate at peak performance in anything. Jim Bennett's awesome, and Jim Bennett's the next guest on the Mental Game Podcast. Jim Bennett joins the Mental Game Podcast. This one's a long time coming. A great friend, a manager, a pitching coach, a pitcher, a dad, a grandfather. Jim, how you doing?
1: I'm great, man. This is fun, man. We're finally going to do this. We're doing it.
0: So about five months ago, you and I were on a baseball diamond in Brisbane, Australia. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned to you that I do this podcast about the mental side of sports. And you were like, where the hell's my invite? Let's go. So let's dive right in. And I want to start here. Take me through a time in your career. And this can be playing. This can be coaching, managing. A time in your career in which your mental game was the most challenged
1: most challenged wow i i would say the the most challenged the first thing that comes to my mind is is being a a senior in college thinking that you're the next big league stud and going undrafted that that was probably my biggest challenge because i I was challenging finding a way um, to get into pro ball and challenging a lot of people telling me move on with your life and uh, get a real life so what do you remember about the day
0: that you realized you weren't going to get drafted? I, I think
1: I was surprised back then because I thought I was the best. I thought I was the guy I thought, um, which I don't think was a bad thing to feel that way. I know I know a lot more um, since I stopped playing, and, and I have an understanding of, of why, how things didn't happen. Um, but it, at the time as a player I just truly believed I was the best best guy out there Um, and and back in those days we didn't have social media we didn't have other um, distractions telling us what was going on outside of our own little world so I I do think it was a lot easier back then to be able to focus on on what you do yourself there was no words I didn't know what I didn't know what Johnny or Tommy was doing I'd have to maybe get the paper if they were in pro ball, I'd look (laughs) look it up in the newspaper. But if they're in the minor leagues, I wouldn't know what they're doing. If they're when I was in high school or college, I wouldn't know anything. Um, And I didn't care because that was the world back then. Um, So um, for me, it was just more so, Okay, what's the next step? So the big, probably the biggest thing was just um, probably the naysayers, just going. You know what? I'm not going to worry about what, what they say. Uh, this is what I do. This is where I'm going, and I'll find a way to do it. Um, so I was mailing letters and to to professional teams, putting it in the mail, putting the stamp on it, and hoping for a response. And doing tryouts. There wasn't indie ball back then, so um, you know that was that was probably the biggest challenge because a lot of it is outside of your control as much as you can control some things. um, (laughs) So that that's, that's my first thought.
0: You mentioned naysayers, which is a fascinating one because for anyone doing an unconventional career, and I I would consider being an athlete. One of those things, especially when you're undrafted and you got to climb that ladder. I do one in broadcasting you might have naysayers in your family and your close friends, mm-hmm. but you, you, you might not have that in your inner circle and you just have naysayers, just sort of a few steps removed from you. Where were your naysayers and where did your family fall when you were a young guy?
1: Uh, me and my dad, we were tight um, and he, he was a minor league player way back in the day. And, and so he obviously loved the fact that I was a baseball guy and, um, so he was all for it. Um, I think my mom back then might have been the one that was like, she and she didn't even understand how it can work. Well, you didn't get drafted, so move on. Um, so I think just she has the mind of let's be realistic, let's move forward, and let's go. Um, now she was the happiest person in the world when it all worked out. But I think that was probably one. So I, I didn't really tell people what I was doing. So I just, I, I just was making phone calls and and I know it's all about finding the right guy the right connection there's so much of that and then when I did find the right the right guy I found a guy Roger Youngward um, he was a scouting director for the Mariners happened to um, play a little bit of minor league baseball with my dad um, I knew his son from college baseball so I called him up and he was the one who ended up ended up signing me because he'd say oh you know go do a try and, and i was the guy with below stuff who i'm not gonna put on a show in a bullpen you know i'm not and it's always hey throw a bullpen for him or throw bull." and i wanted to no let me throw in a game i get people out you know that's what i do um but uh, roger youngward was the guy who actually signed me the scouting director for the mariners and and i know it was because i had the connection if i don't have that connection i'm still looking looking for my first job right now
0: <laughs> and, and you're struggling because i don't know if you're getting guys out now jim no offense you're listen you're you're in great shape but i mean no, come on,
1: no it's not going well it's not going well absolutely
0: i'm curious about the tryout your first tryout like what what does it feel like because for a lot of indie ball guys and, and for me working with the dogs last five years in the american association it's like for a lot of these guys you're on the mound and that's your tryout. You might know that scouts are watching. You might know that you're going to send this tape to a scouting director. But for it to literally be a tryout and you be on the mound and someone watching you must be a mental trip. What's it like?
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It, that's what goes through my mind every time guys throw bullpens. I think about, okay, how, how can I just uh, um, help them be relaxed and just do what they do? And not feel like they're putting on a show because it's not easy. It's not easy. I mean, uh, but saying that to go to the next step, it's not easy to go out and compete either and have to compete every day. So it's as much as it's not easy. Well, if you can't do that, how are you supposed to? uh, I I, I always like to say, if you can't do this, how are you supposed to play in the big leagues? Uh, I I always try. That's kind of my. If you can't handle that, how are you going to handle that? So no matter what's thrown at you, um, you and especially as a pitcher, you're going to be the center of attention. And if you can't handle being the center of attention with with the results being on, tagged on your back, then it's probably probably ultimately not for you. You're on an island. I This is why
0: I love pitching. And listen, I'm talking to a freaking pitching coach. So obviously I'm preaching to the choir, but... When you say center of attention, I mean it, it is drawn out. You know there's a grass field, there's a dirt circle, and you are standing on that piece of rubber, and everyone's watching you. I mean, yes, you look at football and the quarterback's the center of attention, but you know from a blind eye, you know, 300 feet up, like it's just a bunch of guys in helmets, and that's the dude who happens to have the ball. Pitching, you're the center of attention, so I think it takes that special mentality.
1: Yeah, whether whether it's that you crave the attention or you can block out the attention, whichever, whatever personality you are. I wasn't a craving attention type of guy. It was more of I'm focused on what I'm doing. Um, so I, when I look back, and it's hard because, you know, the older we get, the wider our hair gets, sometimes we— we think the game's the game gets easier, and it's like, ah, how come we can't do that? No, the game's tough, man. It's a tough game, and and I always try to remind myself how tough it is. Um, it's that's real. That's just real. Because when you're the center of attention, you are going to screw up. How do you how do you handle with a failure? It's it's not the fun, great games. Those are those are easy. Those those <laughs> you know, everybody's jumping on you. Everybody's happy. Uh, the next day, nobody's talking about it unless it was a war- the final game of the championship. Um, so you have to do it again. You have to do do it again. But the things to me that are hard not to hold on to are the mistakes, the embarrassments. Everybody that's played this game long enough has been embarrassed. And when you're the center of attention and you can't go out there and throw a strike, you're in whatever those some of the stadiums where they're dropping ball five, ball six, ball seven. And
0: Brisbane's one of them.
1: <laughs> you know, I mean, that's real. That's real stuff. Are you able to to not let that get to you and not be embarrassed? And when you feel the bunt, and you throw the ball out in the right field bullpen. How do you handle that? It's so to me, this game is so much about how do we deal with a failure? And and if you can't deal with a failure, that you're, you're never ultimately going to have the ability to have any consistency. And that's not easy to do. Jim, I'm talking
0: to you as a former pitcher and currently a pitching coach. Uh, You also managed for quite some time. So you've got experience doing both the pitching and the coaching of pitching. So take me through a time on the note of failure. And you don't have to use names here, but you had a pitcher fail and they had a bounce back. And you saw them either struggle or thrive in the mental bounce back we're talking about. What's something that comes to mind?
1: Hmm. It's easier to to come up with the ones that have struggled mm-hmm. uh, and, and not come back because it, only the special guys do. You know, some guys do once, but to consistently come back, you're special, man. And and that's what I I, I try to remind people who don't know what's going on out there. Dude, what these guys are doing day after day to be able to come back after failure, it's not that easy. It, um, but, I mean, the, 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 it's, and it's usually pitching that comes to mind, in my mind, uh, when I think of is it a position player? It, it's a lot of the pitchers where I would say nine out of ten times, especially in today's world, it's more the failure was the fact they couldn't throw strikes. That's typically going to be the failure. Now, there Why? are other failures. Uh, well, I, I, I think that, that could be a whole nother podcast for a long conversation. I think the game's changed, and I don't think it's changed for the better or for worse. It's just changed, and it will keep changing, and, and you have to roll with that. Um, it's become a, more of a power game, um, power throws, power hits, um, strength. It's, it's become a strength game. And so with with more strength, um, there is, I think that there's a fine line of how much strength can we put into this and still have the ability to, to be under control. I think there is a line that's played there. And when you go beyond that line, it takes away from the other part of the game, which is being able to command a baseball. Um, so so uh, I don't blame the players for it. Because this is what they're told they have to do. Uh, before uh, it was what, without the guns, it was more about. Uh, I would say it was definitely more about getting out, and and as much as it still still velocity was a thing, um, but it was more about getting out. Back when I played, even even, um, I'm, there's no way I'm playing professional baseball in today's world. Now uh, who knows? Because you know the the way I would have went about things might've been differently. And I might've focused on the power game and maybe I would have had ability to throw a little bit harder. I don't know. You'll never know. Uh, but the way I threw a baseball back then, there's no way I'm playing in this game. What'd so you top only, out at? I was 87, 88 guy, left-handed pitcher. Um, so it was, it was more about movement and command. Uh, but in today's world, it, you know how many guys are not looking at the scoreboard after they throw every pitch. I mean, we used to make fun of guys for doing that, and now that's just the norm. They want to know where they're at. They they throw a pitch, they look up. Oh, ninety-eight, nice. What whatever. I it drives me nuts. I just because I, I'm like, no, it's about the game. It's about the game. But I get where they're coming from. Yeah. If they're not doing a, a, a if they're not hitting a certain number, they're being told that. Well, yeah, it's just not going to play. Yeah so but it is it it's typically a, a pitcher that i would think of and then you know how long how long does that snowball if it's a if it's a bullpen guy you know he's uh, it, being an in indie ball now it's it's different than being an affiliated ball if you're an in indie ball um, we're trying to win games if you're an affiliated ball and you're in rookie ball or a ball they're going to run you back out there and you're going to get your opportunities so the times i think about um, in in affiliated baseball, those guys are still going to get run out there, which is a good thing for their development, um, because they need that. They need to get back on the back on the bump. Um, but more times than not, if if that's the issue, that's typically what ends up taking them out of the game. Eventually, they become prospect. You know, you go from the prospect status to suspect, and, and, and they move on from you. There's more names coming in. Um, it's fun. It's fun to see the guys that struggled, um, and then are able to to mentally move on from that. Um, and, and and you do see that. If you didn't see that, you wouldn't see guys getting better and getting to the big leagues. But um, that's. That's why I love when you brought up, hey, I do this mental game stuff. I'm like, let's go, let's go. That's what it's all about. There is no physical if there's no mental. You can't do something physical if you're if if you're not using your mind. If your mind's not working right, how are you supposed to do anything? So,
0: so take me to the mound. Let's say I'm I'm gonna go back to ball six, ball seven, ball eight you have a pitcher out there who's on like ball 11. I mean, just brutal getting torched, can't throw a strike crowds on him.
1: What do you want him to be thinking? That's where, that's where it's an individual thing. Mm -hmm. Everybody's an individual. And I don't think there is a perfect answer. That's why for me, I love the coach because it's about getting to know your players. It's about paying attention to what makes them tick. Um, so, I mean, there might be a guy that I might want to drop a joke on and, and make something funny for him to just reset his mind that way. There's another guy that if I did that, that would just screw him up. Um, so it's really about there. To me, there's so many different ways to go with that. Okay, that how, how do we get that that focus back on the glove and, and have that tunnel vision? And tunnel vision means different, something different for everybody. There's not not only one way to approach it. So it's such an in, it, it's so individualized with how to approach that. And you, if I didn't know a player, I'm not going to I'm not just going to drop into a joke. Um, I, I'm just going to I'm going to uh, probably go right into breathing. I'm going to get him. I'm a big breather um, and. So that's usually something that I talk to guys before they're even on the mound. So they know when I bring it up, they know what I'm talking about and how that, how that can uh, help in so many ways, mentally and physically.
0: So breathing, take, take me through that routine. Do you have a specific process you use?
1: Um, I, I don't have a specific process. Um, you know, I'm big breathing, breathing in through up your nose and blowing it out. But it's more about that you're intentionally doing it. It's an intentional thing, you know. Some guys say, "Yeah, I breathe out there," and then I'll watch them, and it doesn't all match up with what they say they're doing. So, okay, it's maybe he thinks he is, but the moment's going on, and and you forget sometimes. So it's it's more of it's just a process, you know. I wish I was I wish I was a doctor that could explain the physical side of it. And I've heard it many times, and I've heard it enough where I've bought into that side of it. But it's also for me a reset button. Um, you know, the, there's a lot of different reset buttons by whether it just be in something that you focus on um, to take you off of everything going on in your mind to reset. But I, I'm a big believer in before you get on the mound, that actually before you step on the rubber, that you you take that that breath. You know, sometimes I'll have guys. Um, I like them to take a breath because I think they're too tense. So I'll have them take have, take a breath after they've actually come in the set position, then relax so they're not so tense. Um, but I, I'd like to do it more so before they step on the rubber. As far as getting off of everything else, lock me back in on the glove.
0: You mentioned each mound visit is different. Because each guy is different and you have to learn what makes a guy tick. Well, you've had the unique challenge of coaching all over the world and coaching guys of all different backgrounds, many of whom might not even speak English. They came up differently. What's the challenge of that when you suddenly have to coach someone who might not even understand what you're saying?
1: Well, if it's somebody who totally doesn't speak the language, hopefully I've got an interpreter. Yeah, I hope so. Um, so let's assume but, they speak English. But, they just so there's a cultural barrier. Yeah, we got the cultural barrier. Um, the The beginning part is going to be that I, hopefully I've had some time that I've earned their trust. That's that's the first part because to me I don't care what you tell somebody if they don't trust what you're saying it doesn't mean a thing. Um, that they know that I have their best in, interest at, at hand and that they know that I actually care about them as a person and and they're um, on and off the field. Um, I think once you earn that, you've earned the right for them to hear you out um, to, for, for be and they because they know that you are truly trying to help them. Um, most of the guys, if even different cultures, what I'll do beforehand is What helps you? I want, tell me, help me help you. So let's start there. Now you're under control right now. What is it? What helps you? I want, give me your words. If I tell somebody, you know, I need you to stay back and you need to get extension. You need to do this. If it's a mechanical thing and then they do it and you go, wow, that was good. Yeah. What was that like? Then I, I, I tell them to repeat to me what that meant in their own words so I can use their words. Um, so i'm usually trying to find out what words click with them what before i go out to the mound that i have some type of knowledge that makes sense because if i just come up with my own stuff that i that makes sense to me how do i know that even means a thing to them so going out on the mound it just to have that beforehand knowing knowing what they like and and some guys the longer you get to know them they'll tell you they like one thing but you might see it differently by paying attention to them because sometimes they're so close to it that they think they want this, but you actually see them respond by doing something else. So so you kind of have to put some judgment into that and, and where that fine line plays.
0: Well, you've been on both sides of it, right? I mean, you pitched in Italy, which is something I don't think we've ever talked about, but you've been the guy on the mound, in a different country where English is not the first language. You played for Fiorentina. What do you remember most about that experience in the 90s?
1: The first memory that comes into play is I was riding my scooter to the field. Your scooter, of course. So Euro. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I'm I'm riding it to the field, and there's another stadium where they played football, soccer, um, right by ours, And it was the streets were packed, everything. I'm like, wow, this is pretty, this is pretty good. You know, I didn't realize it was going to be that big. Well, nobody was at the game. They were all at the soccer field. They were all there for, for something going on there. Um, So you realize how big football is over in Italy. And I mean, the fans can get pretty crazy and they get into it. And it's, it's a big deal. Um, So the first thing I was like, okay not too many people come to the games and this was what what, 1991 or 1991. I think it was. Um, and the the second thing I remembered that threw me off was, um, them smoking in the dugouts. I was like, okay, this is, this is what's going on again.
0: Very Euro.
1: Different culture. Yeah. And, and for me, anytime you go into another culture, um, the worst thing you can do is say that's how we do things in the states it, uh, no i'm not i'm not going to come tell you how to do things i'm going to come in and find out what your culture is and and that way i can start to um, get some build some relationships so yeah the smoking of the dugout that that was a, a big one
0: did you ever partake
1: yeah. no no right. that wasn't my gig not my gig
0: so what percentage of the active roster is smoking in the dugout
1: i would say i would say it was under 50 percent uh-huh. probably if i had to throw a number out there i'd say probably 40 percent of the guys
0: so during a game like we're bottom of the third inning one out three three game you're in at the bat. Corner. yeah you could be in the corner just smoking a cigarette and that's normal
1: yeah that wouldn't that wouldn't wow. really have been a that to me it was like <laughs> what <are you> doing? <laughs> i didn't say it because that's their culture um uh, but yeah, that could definitely happen. And it wasn't like forty percent of them at one time, you know. It was it was maybe one guy. It, it wasn't like they had had their own little thing, you know, little group of guys sitting around a table in the dugout having a cigarette. I'm, I'm
0: just imagining them smoking cigars, playing poker, drinking whiskey in the middle of the third inning.
1: So that was that was the other thing. Um, <laughs> I was I was really ignorant as far as knowing anything 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 my first thought because i had my wife and my my girl was just a a, a baby then she was two two years old um so my one of my concerns is safety i'm going somewhere i don't know and i asked the, the manager i'm like hey talk to me you know i'm in italy mafia you know, what's going on what what do i need? and he just started laughing he's like ah, you got more mafia in new york than what you got yeah. here. don't worry about you're gonna and, and he told me he said the only thing you're gonna have to worry about is um maybe if you're you know walking in in the market or something maybe maybe a little 10 year old might try to pickpocket you or something he said outside of that you're don't worry yeah. you're good there, there there's nothing to worry about but the the other thing that always stuck in my mind, I'm thinking like I'm picturing old school, um, just the maybe a bunch of owners sitting in the clubhouse, smoking a cigar, playing poker. And when I first showed up, there were five five older guys, probably in their seventies, all sitting around a table, exactly what I pictured with cigars and you know, and I walked in and and they're they're not afraid to raise their voice when they're just saying hello. Um, it was hey. very loud. Absolutely, um, it was like this is what I thought it was, and that that might be the only thing that I saw where I'm like, that that's what I expected.
0: There's yeah. your welcome datedly moment right there.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh,
0: so Jim, I, I want to stay worldwide here because you're Hi. unique to me, not just in that you played and coach but in that you've done it so many places. I mean, you and I were together in the trenches in Australia. You have been the pitching coach for Team Australia in the World Baseball Classic. I mean, you guys almost made the semis just this past year. Coaching at that level, when you've got the eyes of the world on you, when you know your pitchers have their country across their chest and this is the biggest game of their life, how does that, if at all, affect the mental side
1: of it? big time um mm-hmm. especially especially being a part of the Australian culture um putting on the green and gold for them man they don't take that lightly that that is which is which is so cool for me to be a part of because even though I've been going there since the winter of 1415 and I've I've gotten to know these guys I know them pretty well um I was proud to wear the green green and gold in a different way. Um, it, for them, it's it's about family and country that they're wearing that green and gold, and they're taking a lot of pride. I'm taking pride in these guys for what they take pride in. I don't even know if that made sense how I said it, but um, to watch what they do and the sacrifices they make to be a part of this team and to stay in shape the way you have to stay in shape to compete at the highest level Um They make sacrifices, and 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 probably just because of that alone, man, they got my heart, man. They got me, and so I am so all in with these guys. That I'd do anything for them. I'd do anything. Um, So it, it is it is a big moment. It's they're on the big stage, and the beauty of those guys, they all want. They're not afraid of the big stage. They are not afraid of of being in front of whoever, um, and and that that's impressive. They want that moment. They want to be able to walk back home and go, "I did it, I did it," um, and knowing how proud their family is of them and and all of that. So, um, gosh, it I mean it it jabs at my heart when I when I talk about these guys. That I'm like man, it it touches me. So. Uh, talk about the mental game because you're talking about one pitch, one out one moment. It's not like there's a hundred of those moments day after day after day. It's, it's all going to happen at the right time in the right place. And you gotta, you gotta be at your best in that one moment that you're going to get. Um, so uh, then how to go about it, you know, is it calming guys down? Is it pumping them up? Because, um, you know, some guys who are high energy guys. I've heard so many times where, you know, if a guy struggles, you you would say, well, he cares too much. He's just don't care. That's not real. That you can't just tell a guy don't care. Okay, now it's all better. He doesn't care anymore, so he's going to pitch good or or whatever. I'm more about embracing what you're feeling. I, I think that you need to embrace the moment, embrace your emotions Um, we're not robots. We are emotional people. So if you're an even keel guy, let's embrace being even keel. If you're an emotional guy, how can we embrace that without going past the limit? Because I'm going to say whoever you are, that's an asset. Let's make that an asset. Um, But if you take it too far, it becomes a liability. And so those emotions, if they go beyond um, what you can control, Now they become a liability, and that's what I I always encourage guys to um, try to have an understanding that if they hit that tipping point, is there a key that they can go to? Are they able to notice it? um, Or whether it's just me reminding them with a word. That word just means, hey, you've passed your limit. Pull it back. Pull it back. So you want them to be
0: emotional. Because want you to know be they're they are going are. to be
1: emotional. I want them to be who they yeah. are. And I think when we try to change who somebody is, um, and I've done yeah. that before. I, when I was younger, nah, he plays off of emotions. Well, that's who he is. Mm. So mm. instead of everybody calling that out as a negative, let's turn it into a positive and embrace what he already is and just know where our limits stand.
0: coaching pitching you're coaching people in the spotlight now obviously pitchers are in the spotlight every day but people day-to-day lives whatever job they have they're gonna have moments in the spotlight for me it's when the game is happening and i'm on the broadcast and i'm the person talking for someone else it might be a sales presentation it might be standing in front of a class teaching like everyone has those moments so what would you say that an average person can learn from the mentality of a pitcher that might help them in day-to-day life.
1: I, I, I would say, I mean, from a, from a, a pitcher who's the spotlight, um, no matter how bad it gets, no matter what goes wrong. Um, I mean, unless the world comes to an end, you, you're waking up in the morning and it's, over it's over just as much as that winning that championship is over and and you move forward Um, so there's nothing too big that that can ruin tomorrow and if there is now we need to discuss that and why because to me if if baseball is the biggest thing in your life you're going to come crashing down if whatever you're doing in the moment is the biggest thing in your life you're going to crash at some point whether that means the end of your career or after a bad game, man, you're hot. I, I still, so to me, I mean, even people in day, day to day, as much as if you love your job, if that, if that job is what you're living for, dude, it's coming. It, you will crash. You will crash at some point um, because nothing's going to be perfect for you. It's just not. So if you can understand that you're going to be okay. Um, you're gonna be okay without baseball. You're gonna be okay the day that that um, you know you don't have that microphone on you. Um, how you can so it's how do I get to that point to actually enjoy what I'm blessed to do today?
0: I love that because I, I know you're a family man. I am too, and when I think about what I live for, what I pride myself on, that's what it is, right. Um I love what I do. I don't want this mic to leave anytime soon. I'm glad Absolutely. I can
1: do it till I'm an old man, but yeah, it's not everything.
0: It's not everything.
1: No, I, I mean, after a tough game, I, I still have my wife to, to talk to, to, whether it's I'm on the road and it's a phone call or whether I'm coming home to her. My kids still love me. You know what? I'm, like, I'm going to be all right. I'm gonna be you can all always right. give me a call. I, I, I know you're a go to guy. Absolutely. Hey, Jim,
0: I want to end with a positive note. I always love to end with a big high note. So whether it's as a coach or as a pitcher back in the day, not to make you sound old, take me through a big-time triumph that you're proud of in your career.
1: A big-time triumph. You know, honestly, um, it was probably, and, and we've already gone there, but it was probably the most recent thing. Um, I don't, And it's only getting to the second round. But what the Australians did, getting to the second round of the WBC and the connection that I have with those guys and knowing what they were feeling in that moment, I mean, I get the chills thinking about it right now. You know, we're we're to the day after, and moving forward, we're frustrated that we didn't go to the third round, and we know we could have. But to get to that second round, that was monumental. That was something that um, Australians, and those those boys had never had won that first round in the WBC. They never won more than one, one game. So the fact that it was on such a big stage, uh, and such a big moment for those guys, that was probably. Um, the most important win triumph that I've been a part of. absolutely.
0: It was amazing to watch. And for me to have a small piece of it with four months down there and working with you all in Brisbane, I mean, just to watch from afar in the middle of the night, holy crap, That was
1: awesome. We got some of the, some of these boys don't cry much. Yeah. These guys are <laughs> in tears. Man. they're in tears. Their families are out on the field because, I mean, this is something that you're spending money as a family to go to Japan to go watch this. They're not missing that with their kids, you know, or their spouses or whatever. Um, so the just the moment um, that we went on it and, and to watch all of the families come out on the field with those guys and to I mean, it's hard not to picture Daryl George in tears um, just how big of a moment that was and when you know what they go through, when you know what they go through, just to do what they're doing. They're not getting paid every day to go play baseball. They've got full-time jobs, man, but yet they're staying dedicated to to do something for their country. So that, that by far, I would say, was the biggest moment.
0: I'm glad you were able to have that and see that and share that and play a role in that. I, oh. I mean, people don't realize what those guys go through. I mean, I, I remember it hitting me when I would try to set – Like an interview up with one of the guys, and they'd say, Oh, yeah, I get off work at four, and then I come to the ballpark for, you know, six o'clock game. It's like, Oh my God, they are grinding, capital G. Um, So that was awesome to watch. And Jim, it was awesome to have you on the mental game. Really, really appreciate it, man.
1: Love that you had me, Sam.
0: So now I can say, Jim Bennett, pitcher, coach, manager, father, grandfather, husband, and alum of The Mental Game. Thank you, Jim. (laughs) Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Big thanks to Jim Bennett for coming on The Mental Game, for giving us all sorts of insight and advice and stories, and for giving us all the gift of an image of a bunch of Italian baseball players smoking cigarettes in the corner of a dugout during a game. I mean, that's just beautiful. That's 1980s Italian baseball for you, and I love it. But really, Jim Bennett was a gem of a guest on The Mental Game, as I knew he would be. So big thanks to Jim, and a big thanks to you, as always. You are the heartbeat of this thing. Subscribe, listen, share it, rate it, review it. I appreciate everything that all of you guys can do to help support The Mental Game. And as always, if there's anyone that you think I should reach out to to have on The Mental Game, always open to some crowdsourcing, some suggestions. The more, the merrier, always. And as always, I'm Sam Brief, joining from my home studio here in downtown Chicago. And I will talk to you next time on the Mental Game Podcast. Adios.